Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. As the real ones already know. The real ones already know what we're doing. But I love that podcasts are so specific that it, it really does pay to just say exactly what you're all about at the top every time. <laughs> I you think, know? I think that, you know, people have the right to do some comparison shopping with their precious time and decide what's going to either give them the most entertainment or, you know, the most joy or the most, the best education, whatever, you know, you time is the one resource you can't get more of. And it no. is a great leveler. Richest man in the world does not get more hours per day than you do. There you go. And luckily for you all, the Life Writing Podcast does all of that. All those things that Steve just mentioned. It's incredible. It's incredible. So it's great to see you. I was in Atlanta. It's great to be home. I guess, should we talk a little bit now about what's going on? Sure. Then that's what we're going to I'm just so glad to be back uh, in my own home. I spent nearly two weeks in Atlanta with my my father, who's 88 years old and in many ways is doing great for 88. And in a lot of other ways, he I'm still comparing to when he was younger. I'm still comparing to the last time I saw him. But I'm very, very grateful that I had that time. And thank you for holding it down at home, honey. No problem. And your dad is doing this part of his life better than most, you know? Oh my God. Yes. That, that my attitude is that, you know, aging is a lot like making an ice sculpture in the desert. You know, every day there's a little less ice, Mm. but if you've been a careful craftsman, it shrinks in proportion so that you can make something beautiful out of every day until finally the sands drink us all. You know, that's, that's, that's the way I look at it. It's that is beautifully put. And your dad is doing it is doing it very well. My dad did it pretty well. My mom, unfortunately, did not. Same. So it's a, a study in contrasts. And in, in the to the yeah, I won't go too deeply into it, but it is definitely a study no in contrast. I, mean, I, I will say that my mom died in considerable fear and regret and lost herself. 
Mm. And that was that was painful to watch and uh, triggers a lot of discomfort and fear and, and, you know, sense of loss and also a sense of one's own mortality. You know, what what route am I going to, to travel when I'm doing this? And I think that is that if you look directly at that, you get to make an actual decision, you know, about what you know, your dad has left a fantastic legacy, as did your mom. Yes. You know, and so, you know, you want to leave, you know, what is it that you need to have a good death in that, in that instance? Because no one is going to escape that. And I think that one of the reasons we create is to, is not just to celebrate our life, but to have a good death. Yes. That's, we, and the fear of death, not to get too deep. No, <laughs> early no, in the podcast. no, you write horror, you, you, you've right? talked about this. But the fear of death makes so many of us unwilling to engage with even thinking about it yeah. that we don't set a path toward having a good death right it's 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 a complex thing hey maybe we'll do a whole comp, a whole podcast about preparing to die but uh, i would say that, that using your that. fear of death to motivate yourself to enjoy life yeah, perfectly good subject. Yeah, that's it. It's it's like because if you look right at it, you can actually find joy in and planning around it, you know, and keeping it in mind. But anyway, you had some good news while I was gone. Oh yeah, well I, I I've often said that working in the arts can be a little bit like being a shipwrecked sailor on a raft. You know, you're trying to stay afloat. But one of the things the que- one of the questions is when do you know that you're heading in the direction of your goals? And for the shipwrecked sailor, it's seeing seagulls and, and driftwood. That lets mm. you know you're getting closer to the land. So when you start getting awards, when you start making even small sales, you start getting the, be- the the right kinds of reviews, all that stuff tells you you're moving in the right direction. You're not there yet, but you're moving in the right direction, whatever that next level is. So it's been very interesting that we've been winning more awards. We've been getting nominated for more awards. And just yesterday, I guess it was, I received my certificate for the Analog analog Science Fiction Magazine Best Story of the Year. Award. That you co-wrote with your Larry mentor, Niven. Larry Niven. Yeah, yeah, there he is. So, the crowd is really revved up over that. They needed that it, good news. It was my story, Sacred Cow. And uh, we wrote that story together, our story, Sacred Cow. You know, at this point in my relationship with Larry, you know, when I work with him, I'm working to learn and also to entertain each other, you know, to have fun, to show off a little bit. And I, I want him to know that how much I love him and how much I appreciate all that he has done for me. And one of the best ways I can do that is by creating a playground that we can have fun in and transporting him there. You know, pick him up at his house, take him to the playground, make sure that he's safe, deliver him back. You know, because Larry's in his 80s now. So to me, that's one of the, the jobs that we have to find the things that the people, whether they're younger than us or older than us, that's giving their lives meaning you know, and in sharing that space, I think that's one of the things we do for friends and family. Uh, and so winning this award, Larry was very happy about that. You know, it's the most recent award, you know, that, that he has won. It's been a while. And it's just nice to know that we still got it. It's simple as that. Of course you do. That is so great. And and there's a theme and, and both of us sort of 
taking people who have given us so much, our elders, yes. by the hand, you working with Larry and 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 helping him stay focused and interested in writing, which is a gift beyond measure. And for me, my you know my father is a civil rights attorney. He calls himself a freedom lawyer. Yes. And although he's unable to practice, he does keep his paperwork up to date. His journey with me while I was working on my upcoming novel, The Reformatory, going to the Dozier School, going to the meetings, giving me ideas for how to write a courthouse scene helps him stay engaged. Exactly. Because because the Reformatory is not just about the past, even though it's set in 1950. It's about the, the, the current state of our criminal justice system and what families go through. So I, I just I'm so happy we're able to do that. And before we go on to our our main topic, which is I'm so excited to talk about the the new film Across the Spider-Verse, which you took me to see last night, your second time seeing it. I wanted to mention one thing, you know, like any normal person, as soon as I opened my eyes this morning, I got on my phone to look at my Twitter. I mean, isn't that just what you do? And I was so enraged. I hate it when I open my eyes and I get enraged. So maybe I shouldn't look at it like first thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you were to ask me, your first hour of the day should be all about centering to deal with life with joy. Make sure your energy is flowing outwards. Then you're ready to deal with the outrage. People right. who put the outrage first have trouble finding joy. Prioritize joy, sweetheart. You're right. You know, I wasn't expecting the dose, but I should have known. Well, so what happened is a lot of you know that the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, is on strike. So there are picket lines in LA, New York, and Atlanta. And this morning, I wrote I read a post by a writer for the game, the series The Game, named Brian Edgiston, who was writing... Uh, actually in a very nuanced and dignified way about something that I would not have addressed in such a dignified way, where he and other picketers were standing, I believe, on a curb in Atlanta. (laughs) One of them was the WGA strike captain. They wear these bright orange vests. And all of a sudden, Brian had to yell, look out, because an SUV was speeding toward them. And then it stopped abruptly. And okay, and the, the the driver is a producer, a line producer named Ann Wolf, W-O-O-L-F, for those of you who are taking notes. And this has now been documented in The Hollywood Reporter. They're still calling it allegations. But, you know, I, I did a lot of research before I started spreading this story everywhere I could, because how outrageous for a man to to then say to these writers, he was trying to scare them. But before this, he asked to see their WGA cards. Like, who are you, dude? Who do you think you are that you can assault people because threatening violence? This is as if he walked up to them with a gun or a baseball bat and pretended he was going to shoot them. A moving automobile is a lethal weapon. Yeah. So you assault us and then have the nerve to ask for our papers and and, and then say you were trying to scare us? Look. Black and other black and brown people in Atlanta have enough to be scared about holding picket signs in this in the deep south. Uh, without you, I don't know. I don't know what is the deal. What the deal is with this guy? But he worked on, ironically, the series Mister Mercedes, which is about a serial killer who plows into a group of people standing in line to get jobs. <laughs> what? And he worked on Criminal Minds. I guess currently he was working on a series called BMF, but Lionsgate 
has suspended him, and hopefully it'll be worse than that. Uh, considering, the, considering the problem that pri- the criminal minds had with Shamar Moore. Oh, uh, tell them about it, honey, because some of them may not understand. Okay. okay. It's a, it is a, a very common complaint with black actors that when they are alone on a cast of white actors, they are denied the same inwardness their white co-stars get. They don't have as much home life. They don't right. have as much romantic life. They don't have as many subplots. Right. Um, and Shamar Moore, it was really stark with Shamar Moore because here he was, one of the most gorgeous men on television. Yes. And he was the only member of the original cast who never had a romantic relationship. Every other member of that cast had one in season one except for Shamar Moore. It took until I think it was season 10 when he was threatening to leave that they finally gave him one. I mean, and basically I think he probably already made up his mind to leave and they finally gave him some inwardness and a romantic relationship. They literally treated him as the sexual fantasy of Garcia, you know, their, their computer geek, Mm. You know, who also had outside relationships. Right. He, he had no inwardness. He was not no. a human being. He was a blow-up doll. So I I think that it is easy to assume that the that the powers that be on that show simply did not see his inwardness either. So the idea that this guy driving the car might have been one of those powers is not a surprise. Yeah, and all of this, I'm I'm still gasping my way through Maureen Ryan's new book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood. Can't wait until she's on the show, probably sometime in the next couple of weeks to talk about this. So I am especially happy to have something fun and positive and uplifting to talk about coming out of Hollywood. (laughs) So can we talk about Across the Spider-Verse now? Because my inner child and my all right, you, I will. I had so, some things I could talk oh, about. No, let's, you can, let's let's let your inner child out. Are let's, you sure? Let's let your inner child out. Because I could edit all that out. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah. While I was in Atlanta, Steve and Jason went to go see Across the Spider Verse and absolutely loved it. And can we first go into the backstory of the first movie, Into the Spider Verse, which we all also loved? But it had a very special family importance to us. Do you want to talk about that? Or No, what was it? What are you talking about? Oh, well, Jason, I believe he was still in the, well, he was in high school. I believe he was a freshman when he got injured and broke his ankle and was laid up for several weeks, Was really hadn't left the house in many, many weeks, was using a wheelchair. And when Into the Spider-Verse came out, it was really the first outing he had had since breaking his ankle. And that was a very, very difficult time for all of us. I remember him just crying in pain with us huddled around him in the living room. And it was a miserable, miserable time. He never went back to really playing football in high school after that. I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it. So we went to that movie and it filled us with joy. It was just it was such a relief to be out in the world, to see him out in the world, and to be able to escape into the screen of this really, really beautiful film that first introduced the Spider-Man version of Miles Morales. Well, the Miles Morales version of Spider-Man, you know, that, that right. in the original comics, basically Miles Morales and Peter Parker coexisted in the same universe. Mm. Uh, Miles Morales was like the, the Spider-Man of Brooklyn. You know, okay. Or, while Peter Parker is a Spider-Man of Manhattan, 
and and Peter mentored him. I never really read any Miles Morales Spider-Man books. I was kind of aware of them, but I kind of graduated from reading comic books most of the time. So I would occasionally poke my head in and see what they were doing with Peter Parker, but the same rapport wasn't there. You know, it just, it had been a long time and they, they keep, they have to keep characters within a certain loop to keep providing the same emotional payoffs to the readers. They can only grow so much yes. uh, before they change too much and you'd need literally a different set of, of readers. So I, I was not that familiar with Miles Morales. So the first movie, you know, which had, you know, a black teenager, black Latino teenager who is, has these powers and seemed to have, you know, inwardness. And, you know, he, he had a lot of the same personality characteristics that I grew up loving in Peter Parker. So the movie was visually, it was very, very well done. It was well written. It was exciting. And it, it, it dealt with the multiverse concept in, in, that Marvel was experimenting with over at the MCU quite nicely. I mean, they're experimenting with the same concept over at DC now. So it's just become part of the cultural zeitgeist at this point, the concept that there are multiple universes and it breaks open a lot of creative boxes. So that, that, that was, you know, the fact that, that Jason, I forget, I think that that movie came out before Wakanda, before yes. uh, Infinity War. I believe so. Okay. I would have to look that up. Yeah. So at that period of time, we had Wakanda, which was, you know, the best Afrofuturistic work that I had ever seen. And it was before they destroyed Wakanda, you know, in Infinity War and in subsequent films, as far as I'm concerned. They, they actually came out the same year. Infinity, Avengers Infinity War came out the same year as across, uh, as into the Spider-Verse. So I don't okay, which know. Which one came which, first? That I don't know. I'll continue. Okay. Can we get our researcher on that? Oh wait, we don't have one. Let me let me look it up. This is why we need a producer, like a researcher on the podcast with us. We'll have one. Yeah, I don't know which one up. came first, but I do know that Infinity War was deeply disappointing because mm-hmm. they clearly killed, you know, the black characters disproportionate to the way they killed the white characters. It was obvious, you know, that the creative minds behind it were not family. Ooh, Infinity War came out in April. And Into the Spider-Verse came out in December. So we had been subjected to that horror of Infinity War before. Yeah. So it was healing on many. It many- was healing. Yeah, it, it, it really was. Because when I watched Infinity War, I saw the light of joy about, you know, that had been experienced with Wakanda leaving Jason's eyes. And I watched his face as he yes. watched this happening. And then so Into the Spider-Verse helped to counter some of that. And it was like, oh, wow, here's something to be great, something to be happy about at Christmas. As time went on, Marvel reinforced my notion that no, we're, you know, the MCU, the, you know, the, the Marvel over at Disney, as opposed to the Marvel, the, the Marvel property at Sony. There's Marvel properties over at 20th Century Fox and their Marvel properties over at Universal. These 20th Century Fox has now been folded into, into Disney, but Sony is still independent, although they have made a couple of movies and they, you know, with, with the MCU, you know, Disney's MCU co-producing. And they've been they've been good movies. But I've been aware of the fact that black characters in the MCU have been short well, they've been treated like eunuchs. It's it's bad. Um, there's not a single functional black man in the entire right. cinematic universe. The MCU, you know, it, it's bad. But and so I actually have 
some negative associations there now. I wait for them to treat their characters badly, and they have not disappointed me. But Sony has not violated that. So I, so that little kid part of me, you know, that that connection to my childhood is still is still there, and I, I really resent it when people damage that connection because I need that connection to that younger self, which is where my creativity comes from. So And Spider-Man was always your favorite, wasn't he? Yeah, Spider-Man absolutely was my favorite. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt so much like Peter Parker. You know, my my very favorite comic moment of all time might be when Peter Parker got set on by three thugs and he didn't have time to change to Spider-Man and he thinks to himself, I'll just have to move fast and hope they think it's karate. And I just <laughs> died when I saw that because that's that was, you know, my motivation for when he studied martial arts, so that I wouldn't have to be afraid of bullies. And here's my favorite superhero in his street clothes kicking butt. You know, it's like, right. I just lost it. Love that. So going into Across the Spider-Verse, I expected a, a, a good, good sequel, you know, and my heart was open. I hadn't heard that much about it before it opened, but then I started hearing rumors that people were saying that this was amazing. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, my God. The rumors I was hearing across my social media were this is incredible. I mean, like just up to the sky, just all kinds of I literally saw people saying they thought it was the best movie they'd ever seen. I, I saw that. You know, it's, a lot of people were saying they thought it was the best movie of the year, you know, best animated film or, you know, should get best picture. And so that's a lot to live up to. It's a lot to live up to. And I knew you and Jason had loved it. You were so sweet to see it yeah. with me just days after you saw okay, it. Are you kidding? If I love it that much, then I'm not going to mind seeing it again. I want to see how did they do this? How did they pull this off? You know, the first time you just enjoy it. The second time, take it apart and, and get a sense of how did they create this, this effect? Why is the audience responding to it like this? Well, let me just tell you, as I was sitting there and you said, when you when you get to a point where you feel like you love it, just squeeze my arm. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. But I'm also feeling this pressure because I'm like, I, I started to think after like five or six minutes and the opening was very creative and it, it was doing some, some juxtaposition between music and visuals that I really enjoy as someone who loves music and who plays music. So I was kind of thinking, well, maybe I could squeeze here and or maybe I could squeeze at another place. But at a certain point, I started to fear, oh, my gosh, what if I don't love it? What if I'm not enough of a Spider-Man fan? What if I'm not enough of a geek girl to really fall into this like literally everybody else has? And then the next thing I knew, I was in tears. And then the next thing I knew, 
I was grinning ear to ear under my mask. And I can't say how long I was doing that. Like I literally would, was, I must have squeezed his arm about three or four times. And then I finally stopped because I was distracting both of us, I'm sure. But I really did love it. Not love it as, oh, this was a great film to watch. I loved it as like a person who was immersed in an experience and was just in it. You, I was just in the movie. I believed in it. I was powerfully connected to this message, especially, and I don't think it's too spoilery to say, one of the messages in this film is just because things have always been a certain way doesn't mean we have to accept the status quo, which is the activist battle cry. You know, that that is what young people are all about. That was who my parents were when they were in college. That's who I want Jason to be. Yes, question us. Question our traditions. Question the way we do things. Believe in yourself. And, that's and they had enough different Spider-Men. Yes. That they were able to have Spider-Men that represented different philosophical positions. So Spider-Punk. Yes. You know, voiced by Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya. Yes, from Get Out. Definitely had, huh? From Get, Get Out. Out. I'm yeah. just telling the Definitely audience. had that anarchist attitude. Mm-hmm. And he was wonderful. And mm-hmm. in fact, that each, well, you, you go on talking about how you reacted to it the first time. Then I'll talk about how I reacted to it the second time, what I was looking for. So, well, so, this is so. all I want to say. If you've ever seen the trailer for Across the Spider-Verse, you've heard this beautiful speech that Miles Morales' mother gives him, which if you're a mother, especially of a child who may be graduating from high school this year, graduating from college this year, you know that feeling of both being proud that they're going out in the world, but terror that they'll get lost out in that world. Not just lost from you, but yet you'll never hear from them, but that they might take a turn that that they can't come back from. And I think right. that's the thing that we're most afraid of as parents. And to see that speech in context, and I'm tearing up now just thinking about it, mm. I, I really definitely want I love to, you, baby. I am going to memorize that speech. And one day when our son Jason, who's 19, is least expecting it, I am going to recite that speech to him word for word because I believe in it that much. It it really does capture how I feel. And then the last thing I want to say is in terms of, you know, policing, a lot of my social media is around uh, police incidents and, and the fight against so-called propaganda, because our media has trained us to see police as always being our protectors, with some exceptions. You know, there were some series that were about corrupt policing. But since the first episodes of Dragnet to the present day, TV and movie police and the image they have is at somewhat of a mismatch <laughs> with headlines. Yes. And, I mean, <laughs> I actually went, spent a couple of nights in jail because uh, I thought that police never made a mistake. Right. Exactly. And I tried to help out in a situation and found out that no, that is not what you do. No, and and I and I and I beg people if they have family members who are having mental health episodes, no matter what the race, because once police other you, I have read stories about a naked white person shot to death by police. I mean, think about that. They're naked. What exactly is the threat? <laughs> Except, oh, scary. No, you know what? So, so I, you know, there are a lot of police characters in 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 the film, and and Miles's dad is a is a police lieutenant about to be promoted to captain. And one of my favorite lines in the film is when this black police lieutenant says to, uh, I, I believe his son, I believe, was it? Am I mixing it up? I might be mixing it up. Know. Well, one of the police characters says, 
that the reason he's holding on so hard to this badge or he's held on to this badge is because he knows if he gives it up, it might go to someone who doesn't deserve to have it. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you for addressing this, even in that way. It's just so rarely yeah, addressed. It felt, it felt to me on second viewing, actually the first time I watched it, I said to myself, there's a scene, a rooftop party mm-hmm. celebrating his father's promotion. And I said to myself, this is the scene that Tanana Reeves is going to fall in love with this movie. You were right. Because <laughs> it felt like it was looking at these characters from the inside. It did not feel like research. Right. It felt like the people writing this and directing it had been there. And this is the value of inclusiveness. Yes. It's, it's one thing to be an ally and to come from the outside. And then you ask people, does this scene work? And But you end up you end up depicting what you have experienced. Now, if you've been invited to such parties, you're still an outsider until you become a member of the family and you've been to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. This felt like it was created by people who had grown up with such parties because there are people in the background doing different things that just feel like a party. Yes. It it, it didn't, it, 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 you, you felt like this was, these were people, but these other people in the background were also people with their own lives and their own ways of expressing themselves and reacting to food and music and the weather and the location and each other differently. It, it felt natural. And as soon as it feels natural, then when you move from there to the superhero stuff, you believe it. Yes. You know, that, that Christopher Reeve doing Superman, Superman works if we believe in Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. That Clark Kent can't, you know, has to be a character that we believe in, and Superman has to be a character we believe in. And by seeing both sides of this, we're getting a different view of humanity. That, that clearly he he connected with this. So Miles Morales and his family were the heart of it. Now they did some very very clever things in other ways, and, and it's still too new in the theaters for us to talk too much about that. But one of the other things that I that I looked at was the different art styles that they used for each each Spider-Man. Each different universe had a different art style. They had a different reality, different level of three-dimensionality. And that allowed them to play lots of different games with different thematic elements, with us associating different philosophical positions with the way things looked such that they didn't have to constantly say it. All they had to do was put that different style on the screen and you automatically associated with it. So the the movie was constantly in conversation with itself, with the audience, with its own history, with the history of Spider-Man, with the history of superheroes, with the notion of heroism, with the notion of identity, tons and tons of different things all being wound together at the same time. And I was seeing as much creativity per minute on the screen as I've ever seen in any movie I've ever seen in my life. It's, it was it's astoundingly a creative. It's a marvel. And and I thought at first that that was all people were talking about. a deliberate about. pun, honey? Oh, no, it was not. Oh, that would be a really bad one. oh my God, that's terrible. Just kidding. Just kidding. Bad pun, but when you talk about inclusivity, I just read today that one of these scenes, and we're trying to keep this spoiler free, so maybe I won't mention which one, but was actually animated by a 14-year-old. 
who had been putting up animations on YouTube and they liked his work. So they let him animate a scene that was really one of my favorites. And I specifically yeah, I think we can say that there's a, there's a scene in, in a Lego world. Yes. Because okay. there are many, many different spider verses. So yes. there's a scene in a Lego world that was animated by a 14 year old. Yes. A 14 year old. And See, there, me... now, that's, that's, that's when I have so much, Preston Mutanga. I'm going to go ahead and call his name. I have, his name I have so Preston. much optimism for the future of creativity. Yes. You know, AI or not, you know, the, 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 there will be people who are smart enough to simply use AI as a tool. And people who try to use AI as the creative source will be outcompeted by the people who bring creativity and use it as a tool. And the audiences will respond more to that human heart. Yes. You know, so all I can say about people worried about AI is AI, if it takes starts taking jobs within your lifetime, it'll take the jobs of the bottom 20%. Don't be in the bottom 20%. Simple as that. Just <laughs> ask yourself, how how good do I have to be to stay out of the bottom 20%? Do that and you're safe. So I'm just chuckling <laughs> as you mentioned that. This is a side note, but I'm just chuckling about some lawyers who thought they could trust AI to do their research for a brief to a judge. And it literally made up court cases that weren't real. That yes. they ended up citing. So oh, yeah. don't fall in. Don't fall into that trap. That all the time. You know, <laughs> and it will get better. It will get better. But the fact is that if you can't trust it with facts, by the time you get to subjective human emotions and artistic judgment of which of these scenes will trigger people in this way to create this effect, a human being is always going to have to evaluate that, even if it's the end customer. Okay, but it's going to need the, the producers of this and this. So all I'm saying is that there's no way to stop it. Get ready for it. That this is, you know, that that we have to be prepared to be collaborators with our tools. Yes. Rather than trying to dominate our tools or eliminate those tools. It's too late for that. That ain't going to happen. But but what I'm seeing is back to that question of collaboration there were three directors yeah i was about three to get to that writers yes. which suggests to me that they were using that writers room phenomenon you know they were creating a super mind these people and it was the group was very diverse black. yeah let me let me shout them out let me yeah, shout please. out some names cuz i think it's interesting at a time when the wga is on strike and the dga is still renegotiating and all this question of what is the contribution that human creativity makes in hollywood when you have such a great example of it. So one of the directors is named Kemp Powers. He's a black man, co-director of Soul, which was also very good. And as I see the name of Soul, I think I want to go back and watch that. That was sure. actually very good. Justin K. Thompson was the production designer on Into the Spider-Verse. So he moved up to the director slot. And a Portuguese-American director, Joaquim Dos Santos, who directed Justice League Unlimited for TV. And all of them worked together together. And apparently, well, so everybody says they got along great. <laughs> and then the writers, writers are getting a lot of credit here. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are known for the Lego movie, which was also great. And then Dave Callahan, who's known for Shang-Chi. So that's also very interesting. So what you're looking at there is that this is the future. That, yes. That we're about to get a serious bump in creativity that comes from people with different perspectives on what it is to be a human being. The, if you take a look back 30 years ago and all of the, all of such movies were almost exclusively white with maybe some black person in the background who had, you know, no home life and no, mm -hmm. no attitude other than, you know, supporting, supporting the, 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 the lead. What you have is an artificial 
universe. That's not the way the world actually is. So it is a lot of their energy went into maintaining a lie about the way the world was because that was comfortable to the audiences. And I think that art is always better when you pierce the lies and you get down to the truth. So in that sense, diversity has the opportunity to bump up the entire system. And I was a little bit surprised to find out how diverse the leadership on this is because I'm not used to seeing, I'm not used to seeing black people having the kind, not just, we're not talking about the ability. The ability has always been there, but the access and the knowledge of how the system works and the ability to get people to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in their creativity. It's like, this is one of the reasons why Black Panther was such a, a marvel that, that, uh, um, <laughs> that Ryan Coogler could not, didn't just have the talent, the vision, but the ability to handle all of the political maneuvering that's necessary to get hundreds of millions of dollars of money and and put together a team of thousands of people and manage all of that it's and, and then to to get his vision through there because you know if if you take if i think that 20% of people have a powerful tribal affiliation that affects their racial attitudes Mm-hmm. And that means that if you have a chain of, of three or four people, the chances of running into one of those 20% gets pretty big. So it, you really have to prove yourself so that they can't come up with any logical excuses for what they emotionally want to do anyway, which is to exclude you. You have to, to factor that. They're not bad people. They just want to see the world that looks like them. When you start having diversity, they they no longer have the center position. And that feels like death to someone who is not used, who who has bought into the illusion that they're at the center of the universe. So this is miraculous on a number of different accounts. And I will say in no uncertain terms, I think it's the best Afrofuturist fiction ever done. How about that? You know, especially especially movie. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you have to factor in public acceptance and cultural impact to the quality of a work. If the work, so you, I could write the greatest Afrofuturist novel ever. And if it sits in my desk drawer, in some ways, it was potentially the greatest because the effect of art involves the reaction of the public. It, re, it, it involves the viewer. The people have to feel something for it to be art in that, in that sense. You know, if well, it's I, in the closet, it wasn't. When you open the door, it's Schrodinger's art in that sense. I would, I can agree with you on the cinema side, certainly, or maybe top three to five or whatever. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you on the cinema side. It's hard to compare to a novel, like, you know, but, but absolutely it, it is one of those creations of the system yeah. that requires so many skills. Like y'all don't even know the number of skills it requires just to get a seat at the first table, never mind such a big table. And to be able to express creativity in a way that feels so inclusive. Study after study talks about how Hollywood is leaving money on the table because it can't break out of its habit of centering whiteness. You know, they're excluding huge swaths, not only of the American population, but the worldwide population. (laughs) I would say it's not just a habit. It is a preference. To not understand that there are people who prefer it that way. They will not say it if they're in the business. They can't say if they're in the business. But 
that's what they feel. They're not comfortable with that. It does not represent what they want to see. So you have to understand that that some people are going to feel that way and that almost no one will tell you the truth about it. Right. And it was so beautiful to see the the Black family representation, Black love. Thank you very much. Still so rare. As I said, I was quoted talking about how rare Black still love still is in Hollywood in Maureen Ryan's book, Burn It Down. To see this Black teenager who reminds me so much of my son or myself when I was a teenager and and the world, to see the world and to realize, no, we're not saying that every character has to be Black. But we can be in the movie, too. This movie has something for everybody. White men, white women, Black men, Black women. In future years, with a creative team that big, I would love to see a woman at the table on the creative team as well. And I think we're sure. moving in that direction. Absolutely. But, but, but I, 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 because I was there crying during the mother's speech, I, I have to say I did feel represented. Well, I would I would think that if you looked at emotional moments in the film, that they were balanced pretty well between yes. male and female. Yes, they clearly went out of their way yeah. to express that that notion that that this is a world that belongs to everyone. And and I'm sure there are people who can poke holes in it, but I have zero. I have zero notes. My only note was, oh, I wish there had been another Lego scene. That's about it. That was my only real note. <laughs> Well, there are a couple of things, you know, I, I have not a complaint, but a question about something and I'm not even going to bother saying it. I might mention it later on at some other time, right. but we've talked about the fact that, that if you make a small movie, you're doing everything you need to do to understand in basic form, in very simple form, what it takes to make a $200 million movie. Mm-hmm. You know, what we did with Danger Word we could have done an even smaller version. What you did with that thing movie you did by yourself out in the woods. Right. I did a movie called you with Lost. Danger Word, doesn't it? Take <laughs> a look at that and then take a look at Danger Word. Does it or does it not connect? Or were you not looking at some of the same skills, you know, in in in, in, oh, sure. in some form? Of the, some and of Danger the same Word, skills. you know, whether raising money and putting together a team and going to the location and hiring actors and so forth and so on represents our understanding of what it takes to do a movie ten times that big. Okay, so it's the same seed. So when you take a look at this kid who did Lego stuff on YouTube and mm-hmm. got to make, you know, got to do stuff in a $200 million movie, that is exactly what we're talking about. If you've got the talent, the avenues are there now to find you to to and then you know give you a chance to do these things. This kid just has now he has a career. If he wants it, he's got a career. He's got a career as a stop motion animator. 14 years old. Yeah. Or st- either either it was real Lego or it was digital Lego. I don't know what it was. Wow. Yes. But, I'm so but excited. He had he had the stuff and he put it out into onto YouTube, which is a free marketing platform. And people saw it and reached down to him. This happens. And if this guy gets to, you know, by the time he's 25, if he wants to, he'll be directing major films. So, right. you know, you, you, you look at this and you can, you can ignore the people who start with nothing and succeed if you want to, but all it, all you're doing 
is you're comforting your ego because you don't want to you want to believe that you haven't made that level of success because you didn't have an opportunity. You are ignoring the people who made their own opportunities. And, and it's, it's not that it isn't harder if you're a person of color or if you're born poor or if you're downtrodden or if you've been abused. Of course it's harder, but that harder doesn't mean impossible. It means it's harder. Maybe and, much harder. And it is true that there are people like this producer, Ian Wolf, and this business that you will have to work with who will shout and yell and throw things and be big babies, be big, spoiled, privileged babies who did not get enough love perhaps from their parents and who don't want to go home at night. And and therefore, you shouldn't go home at night. I don't know whether or not there are more of those in Hollywood than there are in other professions. There is no profession that I've ever heard somebody talk about where they did not run into crap. I I think it's the high stakes, the deadlines, the money. I really do think that just as celebrities. There are lots of industries that have high stakes and deadlines and money. I I don't know. The difference is that it involves art. And art involves the opening of the human heart. And what we hope for, what we pray for, is that we will find people who will be kind to our hearts, who will who will see the beauty that we're trying to bring into the world in a different way than if you're working, you know, at a department store. But it's not different. I'm not sure that it's worse. I think that it feels worse because we're hoping it will be better. That's you know, I don't without know. a lot of a lot of, without any evidence. That's my position. Well, I yeah, I I don't know, but but let's just say that, that since last week's our recent podcast we did was about you know continuing to sort of forge your path ahead in the arts, despite the horror stories, to sort of shut out all that noise and and find your joy in creation. I think it's a nice bookend to that to look at a piece of art that came through this deeply flawed system that is Hollywood that actually creates the kind of generative joy. That can help you as an artist also find yours, right? And also I- considering the 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 difference between the way black people are treated in the Sony Marvel universe as opposed to the Disney Marvel universe, there's a well, huge difference. If you know the history of Walt Disney, <laughs> let's not even get started. Do so. You must remember this podcast. Listen to the Zippity Doo Dah. Song of the South episodes, and that will tell you all you need to know about what Disney has grown away from. Yeah, and they've I mean, I come think a that, long way. They come a long way. And as they become more diverse, I would expect that Disney will become one of the most powerful allies in terms of these things. Corporations just want to entertain and make money. They want to provide services and, and goods and services and make money. They don't have prejudices. The people within them do. And can shape it. But the corporation just wants to know, what do I do to be the biggest, strongest corporation I can be? And if if diversity is the world as it is becoming, then one of the things corporations need to do is to be responsive to their demographics. That's yeah. all that's going on. It doesn't have to be, you know, woke. It doesn't have to be trying this. It doesn't have to be any of those things. It just has to be actually responding to the market as it is, as opposed to what it was in the past. Well, I would say that is an aspect of being woke is being just aware, aware okay, of what reality enough. is. I think that's, that, that's that, absolutely fair. 
term know, has I been would say weaponized. The best definition of woke: being aware to the world as it is, as opposed to holding onto your illusions about what it was. That's all it is. That's all it was supposed to mean. But in any case, I'm so glad that we have something to celebrate. Yeah, I was a little. I don't know. I don't know if I would use the term down, but I didn't feel quite like myself in the days returning from Atlanta, kind yeah. of rooted back in that room with my dad, and I was doing all the normal things I do to bring my mood up. I, I yoga with my baby here and stop um, stop cruising twitter first thing in the morning you no know, that's true stressing your body first thing i'm gonna start writing you about that you know because i don't always do that i don't I know you do don't that. always but all i'm saying is i want you to have and i think as an artist especially that we need to understand that other people come to our work looking for hope yes looking for meaning so it behooves us to go out of our way to clarify ourselves so that we're we're responding to the world from position of love more than fear. And Steve is perfect with that. He's not just preaching it, he's practicing it. His first act in the morning is to sit in that bed and meditate. And then the next thing you'll see him doing is his Tai Chi. And he is absolutely almost religious about it with great I've got to be. There's I've got too much fear in my body, you know, just too much pain, too much disappointment to it. All those voices, those demons, those, they're always there. You just don't feed them. Right. You know, it's, but they're there. And when they're starving, sometimes they get nastier still. And when you're about to hit a different level of success or transformation, Is that just they get, they get really, they get really ugly. Right. Right. So, so yeah, this has been fantastic for those of you who are curious about Tai Chi. You are also feeling a little embattled by headlines, whether it's people threatening to mow down strikers with their SUV or just the, the, the state of things in general. Don't forget that a new physical practice might be exactly what you need to help center your body, mind and spirit. Fire dance. TaiChi.com is the digital download course that Steve teaches, and that's how I'm learning Tai Chi. And and it's important to remember that the Fire Dance Tai Chi is not just about Tai Chi. It's about creating a morning ritual specifically so that every morning all you have to do is do this ritual and you've basically got the rest of your day handled. If you do this ritual, you're bringing together your mind, your body, your spirit. And there are other things you can do besides Tai Chi. You could, you could take all the other principles and connect it to walking or dancing or something else that you do. But the point is to do something every day that's bringing your body, emotions, and mind all together at the same time. Because the world, the world can be a, can, can be a, a problematic place. You need to always be in contact with the part of you that is connected to life and love if you're going to have a life of meaning and service. That is beautifully put. And I am shocked, shocked, I tell you, to learn that checking your social media as soon as you wake up is not a part of the morning ritual. (laughs) What? Oh, but anyway. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Life Writing Podcast. Don't forget to review us. Please share us with your friends. But the main thing you need to do is go out and make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.